Hello and welcome to The Dirt in partnership with Marshall's Garden. We're the podcast that just wants gardeners to have a good time. I'm Laura, editor of Grow Your Own magazine. And I'm Laura's podcasting wingman, Blake. As spring creeps closer, today we've got plenty of inspiration and gardening projects to tackle over the coming weeks. But first, we're joined by Nottingham gardener, Derek Daly. Morning, Derek. Morning, guys. How are you? Hello. Very good. Good. How are you? I say Nottingham, but as um, listeners may detect, there's a slight Irish accent in there as well. There's a slight accent, yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Most Irish people mightn't agree with me anymore, but um, yeah, I'm Dublin raised, born and raised, and uh, yeah, I moved away. I've found myself a lovely lady from Nottingham. So lovely. That's probably so that's where. So you garden. Your plot is in Nottingham. It is. Yeah, yeah. So we're in a nice little corner of Be- uh, Nottingham called Beeston, and um, I've got a little allotment just a few minutes up the road. Really, it's on a, a site that used to be an old apple nursery. So it's really mm-hmm. nice. A lot of heritage to it. Um, mo- most of it's been turned into houses, of course, since, but. I do have one apple tree there, which exists from back in those days when I was oh, a nursery. Oh, so it's quite nice to have some heritage there, yeah. Yeah. Um, and how has your allotment plot coped with the snow that we've had recently? Luckily, it's been okay. Um, I, I, I don't have a polytunnel or a greenhouse up there yet. That, that's definitely the, the, one of the next big plans. But I have a lot of perennials. So, for example, I've got a big perennial kale. And a, a kale just loves frost. At the end of the day, it, when it gets hit by that frost, I don't know if you know, but it has effectively like an antifreeze inside it. So it's, it's, it's a lot better than what it sounds like, but effectively it makes it tastier uh-huh. once it be, gets hit with frost. I know back in the day, people used to pick kale and stick it in the freezer before they'd eat it. Yeah. But if you wait for the frost, it just has that extra little lift to it. Is that similar to and parsnips often they say to It is, yeah. For the frost, don't they? So, so it's quite nice to have a few things on the plot that actually want the frost yeah. <laughs> and want the snow. Yeah, definitely. Uh, but, but we're lucky in Nottingham because we're in the Midlands. We rarely get the big extremes. Uh-huh. So we we don't really get the hottest hot summers and we don't get the coldest of cold, but we get some something in between. Um, so we had a nice bit of snow and, you know, we had to turn those snowy days into fun days <laughs> with snowballs being thrown around. But yeah. Um, so... When we first, our first question to our guests, we like to ease you in gently and be kind. Um, So would you be able to tell us about what your biggest growing successes have been since you've been growing your own? Yeah, um, I I suppose one thing is I've um, I've, I've tried to build and make my allotment site my own. And uh, beforehand, a lot of people on the site mostly were just, Digging, digging bits in the ground, whereas I decided to go for a more raised bed approach. Mm-hmm. And I quickly realized my DIY skills are not really up to scratch. <laughs> Although I was a boy scout when I was younger, yeah. <laughs> that, that's further longer, further back than I'd like to admit. Um, but I did see it on the RHS Chelsea show one year, this epic planter someone built over their wheelie bins, essentially hide the wheelie bins with plants. And I just thought that was a fantastic idea. So after about five years of procrastinating, <laughs> I finally got on it and I built myself this uh, wheelie bin planter that, uh, you know, being on lockdown has been great because I've seen other people walk by looking at it. So it really gives me a sense of, oh, I've done something there. Um, but it's good. It, it's just, it's fairly basic. It's, it's not the most complex of designs, but it's a little bit of wildflowers on the roof above the bins. So you can't really see them. That's I've got wisteria and a jasmine, some dahlias and ferns, just to kind of dress it up a bit. But that gave me a bit of a push to do some extra work on the allotment then. And I, I've tried growing vertically a few times. I had these metal arches. And, of course, I went for the cheapest arches I could find. And <laughs> um, sure enough, I grew some gourds over the top of them. I had mm. these bottle gourds, which I knew end up being really light but I forgot that they're really heavy when you're growing them. So very, very, very key difference there. Um, but ultimately, in a bit of wind, those arches all crashed and buckled underneath and broke. So I had to build something a bit more longer term. So I got bought in a load of wood, I got a few pallets, and I've built myself some 
kind of deep and long raised beds. And in there, I've put in a few posts. So I'm able to grow up and over. Um, so it's really nice. I mean, if I think the first year when my son was still in a pram, I used to go in there on our walks during the summer. And he was born in uh, 2018. So it was that, the hottest summer we had for years. And I used to just put him in there underneath all this foliage from um, some gores I have climbing up there. It, yeah. Curry squash, which are just f- phenomenal squash to grow vertically. And uh, some watermelons, and he he would just sit on there happily in a bit of shade, oh. and it was just it was brilliant. Um, flash forward two years now, and you know we keep changing what we put in the two beds each year, or change it up a bit. I have a few perennials in there, but I've started adding to it things that either me and my son can pick off while we're there, or a few things that I don't really mind my neighbours taking. Um, if, if they have to walk by and just pinch a little bit. Um, but we've got stuff like, um, I don't know if you ever tried growing marshmallow, but we, we, we grow marshmallow. So, you know, those little nice fluffy white cubes you can get or sometimes pink cubes. Yeah. Initially, that rather than just being the gelatinous sugar gloops that they are now, they were, they came from a natural root from a plant. Uh, and it was effectively, it was a medicine once upon a time. But the, the flowers on it are perfectly edible and the leaves, you can make it lovely teas out of them. So when we're up there, we, we quite often just will we'll grab a few flowers while we're working away. You, you get a little hint of sweetness. You, you definitely get the flavor of yeah. what we imagine the marshmallow to taste like anyway. Um, yeah, there's always a chance you could dig up the, the roots and make yourself marshmallow. Slightly beyond my culinary skills at the moment. <laughs> but yeah, we, we, we've got daisies in there. Cuca melons were an absolute bomb this year. They're brilliant. They climbed right up the top and I'll say, my son, every time you go on the plot, all he would do was you'd hear the word cucumelon <laughs> and I'd know exactly where he was in the plot because he was in there. And uh, cucumelon has been, oh, he's able to explain them to his nursery. Um, so as I say, without going off on too much of a tangent, uh, Teddy, uh, my son, he's known as the one minute gardener online. And it's quite nice. A lot of people talk about the one minute gardener and I feel like actually on Instagram, people like him more than me. Um, I'm not jealous of my own son, but I'm pretty sure that's true. I was looking through and I saw that there was some, there was a um, a book that he got gifted and did, it was yeah. very specific that it was given to him and not to you. <laughs> yeah, it was. But that book was absolutely amazing, actually. It's called The Extraordinary Gardener. And it's about this little boy called Joe. And he lives in this really grey world. And he has a big imagination and ultimately he decides he wants to grow something, which is just like, it seems like a bizarre idea in this world he's in. And he finds a, an apple seed and, and he plants that, but he puts it in the soil and nothing happens. So I've got my two-year-old boy reading this story and he's like, the seed's gone in, nothing's happening. And he's like, oh, you, you see Teddy thinking the same as Joe, that this is not working. <laughs> but then the boy forgets about the plant. And sure enough, it's growing in the background. But the boy had read up on everything that it needs. And he sees that it needs sun, it needs water, and then it grows bigger. So Teddy now runs around the allotment or he's in nursery telling them how to grow stuff. (laughs) And he always says, plant a seed, sun, water, grows bigger. (laughs) And and he just, he loves it. (laughs) Um, In 2020, I didn't sow a single seed Did you? the whole year. He, he actually sowed every single one. <laughs> That's so cool. Um, I mean, the varying degrees of success and accuracy, but <laughs> it, it was still, it was pretty special that way. Um, I mean, it, it does lead on to some other aspects of it, but it got him really into it. And I, I, again, one, one thing I'd say was the biggest success about that archway was we grew dahlias in there. And they've absolutely flourished. Uh, I think I must have just given them a much better mulch last year and just a, a top of really good mm-hmm. soil this year because they're just epically, massively big and they're dinner plate dailies. Oh, yeah. And it, it got to a point where nursery kept telling them even, you should pick some flowers because after nursery, they'd ask him, what treat do you want? Because you're such a good boy. And he'd ask, could he go to the allotments? Oh. Which, of course, just breaks my heart instantly because I'm like, that's exactly yeah. what I want to do when I'm collecting you from nursery. <laughs> so so we would take a detour home and go into the allotment for half an hour. And we'd pick some flowers. 
and he'd bring them back to his mum. And he, he quick realised, well, she enjoys that. And then he saw a lady working on her allotment one day and he walked over to her with some flowers. <laughs> and I mean, to say that lady wasn't emotional would be an understatement. But as we were leaving with the other flowers for his mum, uh, there's a nursing home near our allotment. And there was a lady who I believe had just collected her husband for dinner and she was bringing him back into the nursing home. So quite quite elderly lady. And obviously that's a hard thing for her to be doing. And then all of a sudden she's got this cute little two-year-old walking towards her with a oh. flower saying, for you. And, and genuinely it, it, she broke out crying. Oh. Which then worried him because he, he thought he upset her. But yeah. he, he's now twigged that if he gives all these, and I'll be honest, it is predominantly women. <laughs> he goes to, but he, he drops flowers off. I've seen him walking around the allotment side saying, hello, flowers. <laughs> <laughs> I love know, this it's, story it's just, so much. Oh. It's, so it's a really, really sweet thing that yeah. we've, uh, my whole idea was trying to get him to the allotment long enough that I could do what I need to do. And now it's actually turned from that, that it's, I bring him to the allotment to do what he wants to do. Mm-hmm. And hopefully what I want to do is a byproduct of that. Yeah. Um, but yeah, now given the flat, so we're, we're already working on flower patch mark two for 2021. And uh, we're going to build a, a new raised bed area just for cut flowers. Cause I, I, I genuinely think that's what he wants to do now, leaving the allotment is just to, pick flowers and give them out to people. Yeah, <laughs> oh, it's, that's so it, lovely. It was really nice, yeah. Yeah. Um, we, we do have a few people have messaged asking me, can I? Can we detour to their houses? <laughs> but uh, <laughs> a few of those people live a bit too far away. So it's, a- anyone in Nottingham? You know. <laughs> it does sound like you would need quite a big flower patch this year. <laughs> yeah, I think my plan's probably not as big as <laughs> it should be. Might have to double or triple it. But, yeah, you know, e- equally the veg, though, um, well, I mean, the fruit fruits are given that you just eat away on everything there. But for me, my secret of gardening is to grow stuff that you want to grow, mm-hmm. stuff that you want to eat, or at least stuff that you want to try. So th- there's often been things like cucumbers, as I, I say, we grew them. Um, he, he describes them as melons that are size of grapes, but is a cucumber. Um and it's very much, it's a Marmite fruit because not everybody wants to eat a cucumelon. Uh, they are a little bit on the sour side of things. But if you take them as just a snack, I think they're brilliant, uh, especially if you've got a big quantity of them on the allotment. So it's about making some little changes and trying things. Cucumelons, I tried for two years and failed with them. Third year, I eventually went for it and I got one cucumelon. And I knew I was hooked for life at that point. <laughs> but, um, you know... I always think, you know, you, you, you can grow a strawberry and El Santa seems to be one of the more popular uh, strawberries you see out there. It's a good strawberry. Um, I'll never grow it uh, again because I, I just think there's better. There's so much better out there. I think it's a good strawberry. It's like Gardener's Delight is a good tomato, but there's so much better out there. You know, you, you can grow white pineberry strawberries that have a hint of they say pineapple, but I think a bit more tropical really is the better way of saying it. Uh, or, I mean, I've got golden raspberries. My nieces have said they've flown over from Dublin just to eat them. <laughs> Maybe to see me as well, but yeah, it's primarily it. to eat the golden raspberries. <laughs> it's nice <laughs> so, to see you as well, Derek, but we've actually come just yeah, to eat them. Can we get up to the allotment, please? You can stay oh, here. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, it's stuff like that. I mean, bringing food into my office even um you know people in there when they used to hear me talk about my gardening and i probably didn't talk about it too much at first you do get this resistance of people and before i joined the instagram community Mm. i I think i probably felt like oh am i a bit wrong to be doing this you know in my early 30s at the time and then gradually i was like you know what I, i like this food myself i like providing for my family and yeah, there's climate impacts, which I later learned more about. But ultimately, I couldn't grow, I couldn't buy things like golden raspberries in the supermarket, but I could grow them. And I've only ever seen a pineberry in a shop down in London once. So growing that sort of thing just really feels that bit more special. As I say, 
I've got an apple tree on my plot, which is a couple of hundred years, well, it, legend has it as a couple of hundred years old, um, but it is a, an old heritage variety and it has a hint of red in the flesh inside. So ju- just that little hint of red knows, gives you a clue that you're eating an apple that's slightly healthier, well, a lot healthier than, say, Golden Delicious, but it's got a little bit more interest and it just happens to be one of my favorite apples I've ever eaten. Mm-hmm. So again, you know, I, I can buy an apple from the local grocers. Yeah, but you're never going to be able to buy it All that. year round. But for those few months when I've got my own apples, it just feels that little bit better, really. Um, might not use them to their full. You know, we, we do make crumbles and stuff. Uh, but mostly, <laughs> again, if, uh, one of the things with one minute gardener, daddy run around the place. He, he ate the apples straight away. It hooked them on the allotment early on. They were, none of the apples were ripe. They definitely were not ready to be eaten, but he gave them a good go. Um, and he just kept eating all these apples and picking them. And that was, that's what he wanted to do when he was up there. And he'd take his apple. And he'd wander around the allotment. And I, I don't know if he was copying me or not, but it looked like he was investigating the allotment, trying to plan out his next move, just while crunching away on this, what must have been a disgusting apple, but it was his apple, you know. And I, I think that's one of the keys to it, is to grow what you want to grow. If you, if you don't like it, well, either try and make yourself like it or see if you can swap it around and get something else in on the plant. Um well, moving you on to the other side of the coin with gardening, can you tell us about any fails that really stand out in your mind or any sort of funny stories about things that have happened on the plot that didn't go quite to plan? Well, I guess my, my, one of my first adventures into gardening, living in Nottingham, was I was planting potatoes. So you plant a potato to hopefully grow more potatoes. I was planting onions. And again, you, you plant a small onion from a Seth to hopefully get a bigger onion. So then I had this garlic bulb that I wanted to plant. And I guess I didn't really read it or read up to work out how to grow garlic. I just assumed, like the potato, like the onions, I'll plant this in the ground and I'll get other garlic. So that's what I did. I didn't break the bulb up into individual cloves like you should. I planted the full bulb. Um, that, that that was a big mistake. So rather than getting, say, eight, eight bul- or cloves and planting them and hopefully getting eight big bulbs of garlic, I planted one bulb and they all started growing, but of course they growed on top of each other. So it just grew some weird, horrible clump of garlic at the end of it. Oh, no. <laughs> <laughs> so that really wasn't a good thing. But what I did then, of course, afterwards was realize what I had done wrong. Unfortunately, it was too late. Um, but now I, I keep growing garlic every year. And it's at a point where I'll, I like to claim if I'm self-sufficient in anything, I'm self-sufficient in garlic. Because I always have so much that I have to give it away to people. But what I do is, and it was good advice that I got from Rob Smith from Rob's Allotment. He recommended keeping back my best bulbs of garlic. And he, he did mention break it down into cloves, but I'll, I'll add that, break it into individual <laughs> cloves and plant those cloves every year. Because then what happens is the garlic gets used to your soil and your conditions. And hopefully every year you get that much of a better crop. And yeah, I mean, that, that's what I've been doing for the last few years. I found a variety of garlic I liked, and I just keep planting that one back in again. I, I throw in elephant garlic as well. And I say elephant garlic, if you've ever seen that, it's a really big, I yeah, suppose it's, it's my vein of garlic, really. Because yeah. a, a clove of elephant garlic is about the same size of a bulb of normal garlic. Mm-hmm. So it feels like I'm linking back to my, my earlier mistake. But yeah, so that, that, that original mistake pushed me back into growing garlic properly. So it gave me a reason to actually almost start second guessing what I think is a straightforward way of gardening. Whereas I, you know, I, I could tell I knew everything, you know, how could growing a garlic be wrong? And sure, I'm Irish. I have to grow a potato, right? Don't I? <laughs> um, <laughs> so an, another failure I've got in the garden, which I, I think a lot of people probably sympathize with is I've been trying to grow loofah. Mm-hmm. Um, I've definitely failed the last couple of years and, Lufa is one of those things which sounds really unusual, but actually, I guess Lufa as a, a sponge sort of thing was a lot more common a long time back. And then 
I guess it's become more popular now that you can actually grow this in a back garden setting. I, I think it needs a lot of heave. So if you could grow it behind glass, you'd probably be a lot more successful. And certainly most of the people I've seen on Instagram who have been successful either live in somewhere lovely like California or they've grown it in like a nice greenhouse, even if it's on the heated greenhouse. But um, I've always been trying to grow mine outside. So it it is a bit of a disadvantage, I guess, at the start. But this year, we decided to try Luther once again. And I was feeling really confident about it. I felt like I knew what I was doing this time around. And I decided we would try and do this single seed challenge, which is where you effectively, you pick one seed out of the thousands of seeds that you might be sowing this year. And you try to follow it from the seed packet to the compost bin or to the plate or to whatever you might be growing this product uh, crop for. So Teddy took the Lufa seeds. He picked one at random and he decided he wanted that one to be our single seed. So we did plant a few. And I definitely had a few in mind that I was like, all right, if his one dies too quickly, I've got a, <laughs> a backup. Just keep them interested. But um, yeah, they, they brilliantly. He, he, he sold them in. We had these little quar little uh, blocks, uh, pellets to grow them in. So that was exciting for him to just see them expanding up when we put water on it. But I uh, put the seeds in, and as I say, he checked on it constantly. It was almost like every 15 minutes, <laughs> Lufa, <laughs> and in he would be with all the seeds in the, the conservatory trying to check if they're there. We, we've a bit of a late frost date in Nottingham, though. So we're, we're kind of towards May, really, where you're looking at when you can plant out properly. But it, it kept him interested. He was looking at the seedlings in the conservatory the whole time, and then they're getting big enough, and we started moving them into the garden a bit more, trying to harden it off a bit. And then it came the big day where we went up to the allotments, and we decided to put them in the sunniest spot I've got on the plant, which coincidentally is right on my archway at the entrance to the plant. So we put them in there, and we had, I think we have four plants at this stage. Two of them weren't looking the best, if I'm honest. But we put them in, and again, I think one of the mistakes I did at this point was I didn't actually plant them in soil as such. It was largely into a mulch. Probably should have planted them up a little bit deeper. But sure enough, two days later, we were hit by a big frost. So we had fears of this. It was a nice, it was about a one foot tall plant, lush and green. We're like, right, well, should I go up to the allotment before Teddy goes up just to <laughs> brace myself for it? But I thought, no, no, we're doing this single seed challenge. So anything that goes wrong is still technically a positive. I, I just wanted him to learn the, the growing process and, almost make it second nature to him that you plant a seed in the ground and ultimately you get these plants at the back end of it. So we went up there and sure enough, this lovely green plant was now a horrible sort of brown frost damaged plant. Aww. So we, we, we did try to nurse it for a little bit of time, but ultimately came a point where I thought, well, now he's got to learn about composting. <laughs> yeah, I like spinning into a positive there. Exactly. So, so now, you know, he, he doesn't understand the technical aspects of composting, and I, I don't pretend to know it myself, but he knows he can put this into the compost bin and it will make soil and hope ultimately feed his plants next year. So that, that's that's what we're hoping for this year, 2021. This is going to be the year of the loofah. Um, yeah. And I think a load of people on Instagram are planning the same thing. So. Yeah, I had similar yeah. troubles last year, Derek, to be Did honest, you? where I put yeah. it outside and then it just, yeah, they just didn't come to anything, which was a shame. It, it's got to be, it must be a greenhouse. You must need the heat for them. But people compare them to, I don't know if you've tried a bottle gourd before. No. But they're a, a similar-ish plant, I guess. It's still in, in the uh, vein of squash. But ultimately, a bottle gourd, uh, when it hollows out, you, you well, sorry, when it, you, you harvest it, You'll put it into a dark place, a shed or a back of a greenhouse or something where it's covered and let it go moldy and let it just go bad effectively. And then next year, you'll wipe off all the, the moldy outside, give it a bit of a shake and you'll see it's relatively hollow with the exception of seeds. And then you've got an interesting decision. Do you turn your bottle gourd into a bottle or do you make it a birdhouse? Um, but traditionally, and these date back a long, long time before the pharaohs in Egypt, they're popular in Africa as drinking vessels. I did like the idea of putting homemade gin into it. <laughs> um, 
But uh, <laughs> yeah, e- equally, you, you can hollow it out and make it into a bird feeder uh, or a bird house, even uh, depending on the size of the hole you put in. Um, so I, I thought Lufa was going to be like that because when I did bird go and uh, bird house goes, bottle goes, I've got dozens. I literally had about twenty of them gone on the plants. So I thought, Lufa, yeah, I should do really well here. Cucamelons next to it. Cucamelons did great, but the Lufa just didn't didn't work. Um, but I'm going to try this year and. Hopefully, I'll, I'll pay more attention to it and try and work out exactly what it needs. And try and, if this isn't the year, next year will be the year. <laughs> <laughs> there's, there's always we'll be next back here year. in ten years, Derek. We'll be saying the same thing to each other that we're both still failing at growing. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but we'll have something in common, yes. and that's the key thing. <laughs> Um, so, moving you on from um, the things that haven't gone quite so well in the garden. Do you have any tips or hacks that you would like to share with the Dirt listeners? Well, I, I guess the one thing I wish I would have known before taking on my allotment is I, I wish somebody would have told me about Charles Dowding mm. and there's no dig methods. Yeah. Because when I took on the allotment, the weeds, I mean, they're, they're a waist high. Mm. I, I literally took on way too much. And I went up every week and I was trying to clear a little corner. And as I, my, my name on Instagram is the five minute gardener because effectively I feel like I only get five minutes up there. I, I've got a job which just requires a lot of hours out of me. I'm in finance and, but I'm lucky to be able to cycle to my office. So I'd either stop off in the morning on the way to the office on the way back. So I get a few minutes there each time and I'll be able to do a few bits. But when you're trying to dig out beds, which are heavily invested and infested with bindweed. It's just, it's so much work and it's really slow going. But if you take a step back and try and think about soil, and this is what Charles Sterling talks about, soil's your key. Why would you ruin your soil? And essentially all you have to do, and I've done it for, I've got about 25 beds on my allotment now. The first four, I almost broke my back. All the others, I've put down cardboard, I've put some homemade compost or other soil, spent compost from other pots into the base. And I've just topped it up with other uh, compost and soil, topsoils. And ultimately, I've saved so much time and effort. And But you're also trying to help the environment kind of at the same time. Because effectively, every time you dig up soil, you're risking ruining that topsoil and also releasing carbon into the air. Whereas if I can compost food at home, turn that around and make that into my own soil, I'm locking in that carbon that otherwise would have gone to landfill. Um, There's been studies recently that say that 50% of waste sent to landfill in the US is compostable material. 50%. So if all of that was locked down, and when it goes to landfill, it doesn't just release CO2, it'll break down and release methane gas, which is, I think it's like 85 times worse for the environment than CO2. So you're like, right, composting's got to be the way. So we, I mean, any sort of compost system you use, whether it's just a heap on the ground and make it a, a slow cold heap, or if you get a hot compost bin, which we have, and I mean, Today, it's, it's Baltically cold outside. I think it was minus two this morning, which many, a lot of people say that's warm if you're in Canada. <laughs> but my compost bin is at 50 degrees Celsius today. So it's really churning away in there. Um, and ultimately, that's making me fresh compost on a regular basis now. Um, and literally, we just took 200 liters of compost out of it a couple of months ago and put that into some other beds. So if I can get 200 litres of free compost every three to four months, even if I'm still creating beds, that's giving me a good chunk of that in there and helping to reduce the cost. Yeah, I was going to ask that because I think a lot of the time the question that always comes up with no dig is how do you create enough uh, enough compost for, you know, if you've got a large allotment plot or that kind of thing. But you find that you're and, creating and enough. When you look at Charles's plot, I mean, it's such a beautiful plot in general. But his compost bins, um, this is probably a geeky side of gardening, his compost bins are a bit of a marvel <laughs> in themselves. As he says, he throws everything in there, including bindweed, which for most people, you're like, that's an absolute no-no. 
but he's confident that he can get his compost up to the right temperatures. He knows what he's putting in there. He knows the right mixes. I've done compost before where literally all I threw in there was food and all I got out was a sludgy mess. But then I started throwing in more brown materials and paper and card. And actually being on lockdown is brilliant because normally some paperwork that I'd be shredding in the office, I can now shred at home and put add to my compost bin. I say it's a hot bin, so I'm happy if there's anything confidential that's getting churned up pretty quickly in there. But it, it's just helping to – so the brown compost is really helping to aerate the process and air is needed to speed up yeah, and the heat things up in the compost bin. And that's what Charles does. So he, I think he says he gets a couple of tons out of his compost bins to put across his raised beds. But it, if, you, if you have to buy it in every year, it's just going to be far too much money for you. But my, my tip is absolutely, if you can try and compost a little bit, even just a little bit, I mean, essentially, if every single person composted a little bit of food waste more than they do now, we could actually not just slow climate change, but you can reverse climate change. And there's all sorts of documentaries about this at the moment. And it's a bit that's got me really excited about gardening more than just getting food and stuff at the end is my hobby is contributing to helping the environment without me. You know, all these things that people have been doing for years anyway, just not knowing that you're actually helping the environment in the way you are. We all know plant a tree is a good thing, but Anything else you can get into that soil and look after the soil organisms in that ground, you're ultimately locking in more and more carbon. And all these soil organisms feed off that carbon and ultimately feed your plants. So as I say, anything that people can do more there is absolutely just going to help things. Um, but I mentioned bindweed there. Don't want to jump topics completely, but bindweed is obviously the bane of most people's lives in gardening. I have met someone who she's turned bindweed into, she, she's always known it as a fun thing. She calls it the popping plant because you, if you squeeze it, the flowers pop off. <laughs> um, I, I tend to not let my bindweed get flowers on it. So I might have to try that this year with Teddy. But if you get bindweed, you can still turn that into a positive. So f- first off, it means your soil is clearly good enough for something to grow. Yay. Unfortunately, that's something growing is bindweed. But if you take the bindweed, which is clearly pure evil, it's gone down into soil and soaking up all the goodness. So any aspect of those roots you can pull out of the ground, which always feels like a big success, put them in a bucket, weigh them down with a rock and fill it up with water. And ultimately, you'll get at the end of it a very, very stinky, again, it's the evil from the bindweed coming out, but a stinky liquid (laughs) that you can feed all your plants with. And it's, it's really good for plants. The bit that you left, it's been soaked up so long, you can have compost that little bit at the end. So it's, it's a way of trying to turn something that's really a horrible uh, thing to have on the allotment, but turn it into a nice little positive yeah. and get something good out of it at the end. Mm. Um, so if using no-dig methods and composting are your biggest tips in the garden, yeah. what would you say is the one biggest lesson that you've learned since you've had your plot? Oh, good question. Um, I, I do think no digs definitely up there, but um, the importance of perennials yeah. is good as well. Um, and I think it can be overlooked sometimes. You know, people think, well, I need to grow carrots, I'll grow carrots. Um, but the lack of kale, as I say, I, I've got a perennial kale tree or plant, and you know, the birds don't go near it really. And if they do, they eat a little, little bit of it, but I get what I want. It's such a vigorous plant. And it, it means I can go up there and get food no matter what the weather is. Um, you know, I've got all my fruit trees up there. And again, with, with, with fruit trees, the important thing to know is five fruit trees counts as an orchard. So I've got an orchard. <laughs> Um, yeah, it, it just feels really good to go up there and be able to get your fruit. But they're all things that take such little effort. So for me, the most important thing I've learned is you can garden and you can get lots and lots of harvest, but from minimum effort. And that, that for me is pretty special. Um, I, I love to grow bits of history as well. So again, that's, a, that's another nice thing to add in. 
I've got some beans that we grow. And actually, this morning, despite it being ice cold outside, Teddy insisted on planting some of these beans. But they're called, um, they're from the Heritage Seed Library. They're called Heritage, I'm sorry, they're called Cherokee Trail of Tears. So there's a big history to them of when the Native Americans were forced off their land. Um, they were only could take with them what they could carry. And actually, the Cherokee tribe took these beans with them. And I've always liked the idea of, well, if they thought it was that important and that good to grow, I'd be foolish not to grow it, isn't it? Um, so, so we grow it on every year. We keep the seeds and we regrow them every year. And again, that, that comes back to saving seeds. So try and cut down a bit more cost that way. Grow a bit of history. Nice little story. Hopefully you're on some nice and edible at the end of it. And these beans are quite nice. And we're trying to eat more things like beans and stuff anyway. Um, and cut down some of our meat consumption. But it's good to be able to get that sort of stuff off the land. And then because we're saving the seeds, again, I wouldn't use the word self-sufficient on it, but it's definitely blurring the barriers with getting self-sufficient and some yeah. things that way. Yeah. Well, that's really great. And um really interesting to hear to hear about the heritage varieties and stuff as well um thank you so much for chatting with us today it's it's been really great and um if you just want to tell the listeners who may not know where they can find you on instagram yeah absolutely thanks for having me um so i'm on instagram at at five minute gardener and so you can always find me there if any questions please just drop me a line uh, we're all very friendly bunch in the Instagram community. So, uh, yeah, it'd be nice to hear from some of you. <laughs> You're probably going to get about 100 questions for the one minute gardener. No, oh, I'm pretty sure. Yeah. <laughs> 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 I'll, I'll get him to do video responses back yeah, and I can just yeah. sit back. <laughs> we'll have him on the next series of the podcast. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> thanks, Derek. Uh, oh, thanks for having me. Cheers. And um, Blake, shall we go and speak to Marshall's Garden about fruit trees in small spaces? Hello, Mike. How are you this week? I'm all right, thank you. How are you two? Yeah, yeah, doing Good. well. I'm glad to see that the last of the snow's pretty much gone at this point. Haven't seen the garden for about a week. <laughs> Absolutely, the the garden is now green as opposed to being white, and uh, yeah, and the sun is coming. Yeah, it makes a big difference. Spring has arrived. <laughs> I'll put that. I'll put that out there. <laughs> I was actually out for a walk the other day, and it was that sort of nice sunshine. It was a little bit chilly when there was a breeze, but I thought, oh, it really feels springy today, which which was lovely. Um, so. Diving straight in, we will be talking to you today about um, growing fruit in small spaces, which mm -hmm. obviously some people might think doesn't feel possible. So I think, first of all, just to start things off, we'd like to hear what you think the biggest challenges of growing fruit in small spaces can be. Yeah, well, I think it's almost just what you said. People think that uh, fruit is just something that needs to be you need a big area or it needs to be a walled garden or, you know, you need a big allotment area. And um, I think they get quite concerned about the fact that they uh, don't have all that. They almost discount that sort of area as, as, as being able to grow, really. Mm -hmm. So we've looked at uh, one of the reasons we think that a lot of people don't want to grow fruit or can't think that they can grow fruit is just literally because of the space. Mm -hmm. uh, I think they think that fruit takes up a lot of space. And yes, granted, it does in certain types, you know, big fruit trees and big, big runs of cane raspberries. But all the varieties that are almost available out there are available in almost a smaller version, a container size version. Um, I mean, some people just literally don't have any garden these days. Uh, you know, they live in flats or they've got balconies and they just think they haven't got the space for that. Uh, gardens are getting much smaller than they ever were. If Obviously, if you drive around and you see a lot of local housing estates being built these days the gardens are, are really really quite small um and again so it's, it's only going to become a, a, a worse sort of issue as far as people thinking i can't i haven't got the space to grow in um there's also an awful lot of shadows uh, across the garden um from neighboring buildings say when when the estates are being built and the houses are quite close yeah there's not that lovely long stretch of sun out there really um 
and I, I just think it's in your in your head as well. They just they just don't know what to grow, and they think they just need an awful lot of space to do it. Um, and and I don't I don't agree with that. I think there's there's ways you can do it really. So what sort of um, problems might be you have to overcome if you want to become a fruit grower in a small space? Yeah, I, I think it's I think it's almost just just say to yourself, what do I like to eat? And if I like apples, we'll find you a variety to grow in a small space of apples. Mm-hmm. If you like raspberries, you know, it's rather than what I can't grow in a small space or what I can't grow. What do what do I go to the supermarket every week and buy? I'd like to grow that. And you can you can do that, um, especially with probably the last 10 to 15 years with the breeding through the varieties. You know, it's not just a, a UK issue. It's, a, it's a, probably a european wide issue of smaller spaces smaller gardens the breeders have got into the varieties and really bringing down the size of the actual habit of the plant mm-hmm. uh, so it can fit into smaller smaller spaces uh, containers are fantastic uh, you can grow an awful lot in containers so you, you're basically lifting lifting the soil into a pot and you don't need a garden you don't need a, a an allotment you just need a container and containers can be made out of anything really anything that holds soil it's got good drainage obviously you can buy them um, from any anywhere really or you can make them yourself it's great fun to make them yourselves yeah. um, and every plant will grow in a container um, the good thing about containers what we found is you can move them around you know they're um you can find places like, like my garden gets a lot of morning sun but not a lot of afternoon sun so you get the containers out and if you know you can move them around give them a bit more sun in the afternoon and they love it and you know they'll thrive on the sunshine but it doesn't feel like well i've got an east facing garden there's always a bit of patch of sun in most gardens and you just move the move the pots around for that really um i always look for walls as well i think people or walls or fences mm. it's amazing what what you can grow up a fence or a wall and it takes a, a tiny bit of room really. if you can grow clematis you can grow grapes mm. um you know you can you can get the varieties of trees that are fan trained and that sort of thing that go against a, a wall um and i think as long as you um make the design of your wires where you're training the plants against it almost part of the garden they look great even without the without the fruit on it mm-hmm. um and, mm-hmm. you, and, and once they grow up and you, you train them into it it just it's, it's it's almost a feature in the garden as well as productive and and lovely to eat as well um they also take up not a lot of room in the soil so if you're doing plants of bedding or you're putting cabbages in or you do lots of lettuce or um you know big shrubs they take up a lot of almost soil surface whereas uh, a lot of fruit trees you know they come out the ground they go up uh, especially if they're climbing types um then they don't take actually that much room of the soil that you're trying to plant them in yeah Uh, and one thing we found there's two other things is is the hanging baskets i mean fantastic hanging baskets Mm. um they can be grown anywhere these days and the amount of fruit that you can get into a hanging basket and will produce and the breeders again have worked on varieties that will grow in a, a simple hanging basket and produce fruit yeah um you know so there's no excuse really not to buy it and the standard trees we've the sales of standard trees have, have, have um, gone through gone for the roof really it's and it's not the standard trees that are three four five meters it's your patio patio trees that are no more than a meter and a half two meters if that um again they take up very little room in the actual soil surface and if you get them standard so so the actual fruit head is almost at eye level fantastic you know you can walk around you can see them mm. but you're taking up not much room underneath and actually there's not much shadowing either so you can you can grow them within your veg plot you can grow them within your borders and they don't take up a huge amount of room and really simple pruning as well don't take up a lot of pruning so um you should be able to you should be able to find something to um to get you some fruit in your garden um so you mentioned they're growing the fruit in containers um obviously there can be some common challenges when growing in containers you know maybe things getting waterlogged or drying out or soil condition or anything like that yeah and um, so what are the best ways to overcome some of the common container growing challenges yeah i think the containers um need a bit more management of the soil because uh, you don't get you obviously get the rain in there uh, but they do dry out quicker uh, you just have to make sure they've got plenty of drainage at the bottom mm. Um, so the old, you know, using old bits of crock or even just bits of light, quite good sized pebbles or gravel to make sure that the the drainage goes out to the out of the pot out to the bottom and make sure you buy in a container that uh, is frost proof, but also it's got it's got holes in the bottom 
Um, there's a lot of containers now that are great for indoors and outdoors, but if they're outdoors, they need the they need, they need the drainage coming out to the bottom. You can always put more water in. Obviously, you can't take the water out. So just just manage the watering really. And with fruit, I would say it's not everything, but mostly they probably want a bit more water than other things. Um, and more regular watering. I think that's that's a crucial bit. Mm-hmm. Is is fruit will produce if they've got a steady flow of water getting through the roots, getting into the plant. Not too much. Not 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 too little. Uh, too little, and they'll start to maybe not be as much vigor, and maybe not produce as many flowers, which won't produce as much fruit. Uh, too much, as you say, can lead to a bit of waterlogging, a bit of root death, maybe, and a bit of slowdown of the whole plant going around. Really, uh, and it's it's not just it's been a couple of weeks, give it a good drown because all it does is it almost expands the fruit, then it shrinks it and expands it and it shrinks it and you get all sorts of fruit problems on it. So it's just keeping that moisture regular. Um, I quite, quite simply, if I find if, 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 the top, if the top surface is just looking a bit dry, give it a good soak um, and you should be able to manage it that way, really. The good thing about uh, containers as well as you can manage what's in the soil you can buy your prepared compost you you know whatever ph you want it whatever your drainage you want in there so it's not like oh i've got clay soil i've got a light mm-hmm. sandy soil yeah you don't have to worry about that you know there's, there's such technical uh compost out there that you can almost buy the right substrate to go in your pot uh, and, and as we all know them as soon as you get the right feet you know the plants are in the right content um, they'll get away nicely. So you've overcome that issue of trying to work out whether you've got high pH, low pH, uh, and that sort of thing. And if you've got boggy part of the garden, again, it might be the sunny part, but you can move the containers around as long as you've got the right compost in the in the container itself. Um, then you should get success, really. Yeah. Um, so just finally, would you be able to recommend some amazing small space fruit varieties um, from the Marshall's Garden range? Sure. Yeah. I mean, uh, let's say that the, the patio fruit trees we found have been uh, fantastically popular this year. Uh, we, we've got them all on a, a quite a dwarfing rootstock, um, sort of an M27. I don't really want to go into too much rootstock, but basically uh, it, it's, it's it's part of the plant. It's the root part of the plant that will help or slows the top growth down or manages the top growth. So you get a small plant. Yeah. Um, so you only look at a, a meter and a half, two meters high. So look, make sure you, you're buying a rootstock that, that um, is is a dwarfing rootstock or a or a moderate growing root, rootstock. So you don't you don't end up with a, a thirty meter tree. Um, we have a great range of those. So we've got this cherry van, which is a lovely cherry, a real sort of dessert dessert type cherry, uh, lovely and glossy, lovely juicy plum Victoria. Everyone knows Victoria plums. You can grow Victoria plums in it in a in a container in a patio with a patio fruit tree absolutely fantastic um jonah gold we do as an apple as well uh one of the popular ones and conference pear so it's it's common names that you know yeah. that you think well i thought that was in an orchard or it had to be a you know a, a, a lovely part of evesham and it's, you've got these massive orchards with all these pear conferences no you, you just need a patio fruit tree you need the breeders to have worked on the on the varieties and we, we stock them and they they sell the other good thing about them is they sell all year round. If they're be- if they're dormant in the winter, you can plant them now. If they're in leaf in the spring, you can plant them. Um, you can get them into the summer, maybe not too late into the into the autumn because that's when you want the crops to come through. But container grown patio fruit, fantastic. Uh, blueberries we found are, are superb for containers. One of the reasons is because they do like the ericaceous soil. Yeah. So again, that's two things that puts people off. You know, my soil isn't ericaceous. Not sure what that means or how I'm going to manage it. Don't worry about it. Go and buy a good bag of ericaceous compost, uh, fill up your container, put your blueberries in, and they'll be fantastic. Uh, we've got some lovely ones that are sort of patio bred, so they're only, you know, they're quite a small habit, quite, quite compact. Uh, Sunshine Blue, fantastic name, fantastic taste on that as well. Uh, blue Gold is self-pollinating again, so that's, that's a good benefit of Blue Gold. Uh, is you don't need two or three different um blueberries are plants next to it they're self-pollinating so you'll get a good crop off that we've got a lovely one called pink lemonade which has got pink berries um which is a bit unusual but they taste just like normal blueberries but they're pink look fantastic fun um yeah they are and and they, they do just as well you know they uh, in fact we are just saying we've got a raspberry um patio gold which is a similar thing it's it's a yellow colored raspberry 
it's it stands out in the sunshine it looks fantastic just tastes like a raspberry i'm such a sucker for those novel you know <laughs> yeah. slightly different ones i'm always like attracted yeah. to you know so they're def- as soon as i say i'm like i must have this so. yes. there definitely might be some here for you to try in your courtyard garden blake mm. <laughs> i know i'm just attentively listening to all of these ideas and waiting to go onto the marshall's <laughs> website and have a look for some because i have got quite a small courtyard so and as much as I always think I can grow loads of veg, I've never really given much thought beyond strawberries as to th- something that I could grow in in the space. So maybe this is the year. Absolutely. I mean, raspberries as well, you know, a, a huge amount of them are uh, bred and grown in the sort of northern hemispheres yeah. and certainly part of sort of northern Scotland. So they're, they're well used to maybe not being the best, sunniest, beautiful conditions ever. Um and they certainly don't mind a bit of cold and i wouldn't say neglect but um, you know you don't need to look after them too too much they'll give you a good crop on it as well um we do some good gooseberry standards um the reds and the greens which have sold very well but we've introduced this year a, a jostaberry standard which is quite exciting so that's like a cross between a black currant and a gooseberry um and a red currant as well um Jonker van tets uh which is a, a fantastic sort of racemes of, of those juicy red uh, red currants mm. uh, at eye level you know it's basically the uh, size of a, a good thick sort of broom handle at the bottom and then two or three feet of clear stem and then you a lovely head of fruit um which looks great even when it's not in, not in fruit so uh, they've been fantastic and i think you mentioned about strawberries you know don't forget humble strawberries uh, they do fantastic in hanging baskets in containers mm-hmm. and uh, you know we've got some Good ones are uh, everbearers, which we found are probably best for the patio area. So, you know, it's little and often you can pick them as you're walking around. You can have one or two every week. You can get some fantastic sort of June bearers, uh, which will do heavy crops if you've got good beds for them, uh, which if you want that, great. But if you want on the patio, if you stick with the everbearers, it'll just give you, I say, a little and often. Uh, and you can look, you, you can have strawberries from those for most of the summer anyway so mm-hmm. yeah that's just a, a, a few really that that a, a bread for containers um so so we put together sort of a selection so if, if you look up on the website and just filter container fruit and it'll bring down that selection so you, it narrows it down for you so you don't have to look through the fine detail so anything i i think anything that says containers is small spaces same sort of thing really uh, you can grow it in the soil if you've got a small space it's not a problem and that's on marshallsgarden.com, isn't it? Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah, it's all on the website. Yeah, have a look around. And uh, as I say, uh, just look up containers and patio fruit trees, uh, fruit trees for or fruit for uh, hanging baskets. Look up the icons. Uh, we've, we've put together some that are just pure, purely for hanging baskets, uh, as big hanging baskets as much as you can, just to keep the watering sort of levels constant. But uh, yeah, they're all on there. Have a look round. Uh, I'm sure you'll get some harvest out of fruit and certainly have a go. Lovely. Um, well, thank you very much for all that information. That's really great. And um, yeah, that can all be found at marshallsgarden.com. Um, so thank you very much for joining us today, Mike. And Blake, shall we go and talk about some topical gardening news? Hi Blake, have you got your coffee in hand? I've actually got a tea today. Have you? I've been reading about um, how lots of beekeeping events have been going online over the last year, obviously, because mm. everything's going online right now, isn't it? Yeah. Um, uh, so they're causing a bit of a buzz. Mm. <laughs> Every- <laughs> oh my God, that took me a minute. <laughs> <laughs> wow, Laura. <laughs> Wow. I was like, here's a surefire thing that's going to make Laura laugh. <laughs> Ten minutes later. Knocked it, knocked it out of the park. Yeah. Everybody's been <laughs> swarming to these online events. Oh, my goodness me. Oh my, I'm going to leave. There might only be two of us in this chat, but I'm going to leave. Um, so tell me more about these B events. Yeah, well, there's all sorts going on. So I think, you know, whether you're a beginner or you're somebody that's already got your own... Um, your own hive in your back garden mm. 
and you do already have some experience in it. There's lots of different varied events. It was actually a press release that came in from Eventbrite, which oh, is yeah. that online ticketing platform that um, you might have ordered stuff, you know, tickets to things through before, but obviously not many events are happening right now. So a lot of their stuff is going online and it's mm. like these virtual things. So there's been Q&As, there's been lectures with sort of experts um, in the areas, or there's been workshops on, you know, um, getting your own beeswax from your gardens and over 20,000 people were reported to have attended various bee themed events in the UK in 2020 so well, that's they're quite loads. popular yeah I think it's nice because I think you know your diary might be quite empty at the moment I know mine is and um yeah mine's got cobwebs on it sometimes has it <laughs> you're still <laughs> writing in 2019 aren't you you forgot to get update <laughs> um so yeah, your diary might be a bit empty right now, but you might forget that you can still do this type of thing online. So I think mm. sometimes it can be quite nice to, you don't, you can get fatigue a little bit from doing too much online. I know everybody yeah. was doing quizzes during that first lockdown and then now nobody wants to do an online quiz, but mm. you know, there are other things like this. So maybe go and have a look, um, have a search for something. It might not even be be related I'm sure there are lots of gardening things happening as well I know there's some sort of online courses and things so yeah. go and have a hunt because sometimes it's nice when we're stuck inside to do something a bit different absolutely um, and learning a new skill is never about exactly things. talking have of you learning a any, new um, skill actually I've got uh, an upcoming thing that I'm doing which is a yeah. cookery class online oh, so nice. um yeah, it's, it's actually for a charity and so they're trying to raise money. I know that a lot of charities have been struggling to fundraise mm. recently. So it feels like, I don't know, I feel like I'm doing something good by buying a ticket yeah. to this cooking um, event. And you go along um, and there's a chef that uh, is a specialist in a particular cuisine and they teach you how to cook one of their national meals, which oh, is so, a really nice idea. That's so cool. Do you know what you'll be cooking? Yeah, um, I can't remember exactly. I think it's some kind of curry. It's a Sri Lankan um, dish. Yeah. So, yeah, quite excited. And I think the person that does it will be kind of talking you through some of the background around the dish, giving you a bit of knowledge as well mm -hmm. whilst whilst you're doing it. So, oh, that's so nice. it just seemed like a fun thing. And I'm going to do it with some friends that um, live in London that I haven't seen for a while. So it'll be a nice way of kind of uh, keeping in touch with them when we can't see each other in person. Oh, I know yeah. you're all over the Zoom stuff, aren't you, Laura? Yeah, it's it is strange because I do agree that you definitely get screen fatigue. But um, I've been able to do some nice things like um, watch to play via Zoom, sort of live from a theatre. Fun and I forgot. Yeah, you did that, that was really cool. That was really nicely done. And then um, I think there's also you know there's lots of stuff as you say that you can do. And I think even if you might feel like the last thing I want to do now is go on a computer again it actually does enable you to do something a little bit different which is good and also on the subject of learning I have delved into the world of future learn oh, wow. myself I mean obviously that's not really a social one because although there are other students in the class you do do the majority of it on your own but I just think there's something when you can't do a lot else there's something really satisfying about learning a thing yeah I was thinking about trying to pick up a language, but that it's nearly been a year now and it still hasn't happened. So maybe it never will. <laughs> it's hard to motivate <laughs> no, yourself also... with this type of thing, isn't it? But... Yeah. And I do think as well that ultimately the important thing with this kind of thing is do what you're going to enjoy. You don't feel pressured. You know, I know there's a lot of stuff on social media about, oh, I you know completely remodeled my house and garden and yeah wrote a novel I achieved and a screenplay this, 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 and painted this, and this. a masterpiece yeah, and you yeah know, and I'm like I, I got genius, out of bed and <laughs> made myself lunch yay <laughs> yeah which is fine like I think the most important thing with these things is if there's an area that interests you and it's something that you're going to get enjoyment out of do it but that should be the reason to do it you know here here words some real words of wisdom there <laughs> <laughs> oh well there had to be a first time for that um well sort of on the subject of learning things and yeah doing things I saw a lovely feature in the Guardian by Alice Fowler um and she says there's a world of wonder to explore great ways to get kids into gardening now full disclosure here I looked at these projects and I thought 
they sound fun to me and I'm an adult. Yeah. So, I mean, they'd definitely be fun for children, but I feel very much like they'd be fun for everybody involved. And that's things like yeah, growing... no age limit here. <laughs> growing plants from kitchen scraps. So the sort of thing where vegetable tops, um, you know, you sit them in a bit of water and they re-sprout. Um, growing a new succulent from a leaf. That would be a good one for you, Blake. Yeah. Um, turn a sweet potato into a house plant. Mm-hmm. Make your own plant pot. Make your own watering can. They're really cool projects. And I think, um, as Alice says in this feature, there are certain elements of gardening that are probably not going to be that appealing to children, like outside in all weathers with freezing cold fingers pulling out weeds. Mm. But these can actually really foster a sort of real like really engaging kind of interest and love for what you can create and the experiments you can do and I think that's so valuable in gardening the whole you don't just have to open a massive tome of vegetable growing knowledge Mm -hmm. and do things like that you can think oh I've got a you know half a kohlrabi in the fridge shall i see if i can sprout the tops from yeah. that you know it's just i think as well with kids it's it's quite fun. experimental isn't it it's mm. kind of teaching um young people uh yeah. and just having a bit of fun with it definitely and i mean i think i was going to say if you look back to your own childhood but also probably your adult growing there's things where actually just the things that you do for fun what really sort of sparks something in you like I know I've mentioned this before but the time that I just stuffed a twig in the ground in my parents house when they were gardening turns out Mm. it was a pyracantha twig (laughs) (laughs) it very much rooted and very much took over the corner of the garden for many many years (laughs) but I just think that like having the freedom to just experiment and have fun and play around with stuff and I think that's something that as gardeners it would be a shame to lose that as adults as well. Like sure. keep that element of wonder, you know, like, oh, I'm just going to try this. And if it doesn't ma- if it doesn't work, it doesn't actually matter. Obviously, that obvious one as well is that growing cress in a piece of kitchen towel type of thing, which everybody did at school or when you were kids. Yeah. And um, like, that's the easiest, simplest did you do the one, one you can do, isn't it? The like grass seed like you stuff a pair of tights with something and then put grass yes. seed in it and googly eyes yeah yes and it turns yeah. it's the hair isn't it yeah you can Great make like project. a face and then the grass <laughs> is the hair yeah yeah that was fun oh wasn't it fun being a child <laughs> I believe one year that was um at school as um making a father's day present and you yeah. know at the time you're really really proud of yourself and yeah, then you yeah back on it thinking I'm dad. sure my dad really loved having an old pair of tights with googly eyes and grass yeah <laughs> practicing is like best like um, pretending to be happy face but actually being like where am I what am I going to do with this and how long till I can throw this out yeah. so I think the real message here is let's find that wonder ourselves and let's experiment and let's try things and if it doesn't work it doesn't work but if it does work amazing and get the whole family out there or indoors if it's cold and yeah yeah just have fun with it love that um i think you've got some jobs on the plot to continue our projects and ideas that we've just been talking about i guess i certainly have The sowing season is about to really kick up a notch, so make sure you've completed your early season prep. This will include things like prepping seed beds, going through old pots and seed trays and seeing if anything needs replacing or sprucing up. You can also check through your seed stores to make sure you have what you need. Another thing you can get ahead with now is plant supports. Harvest hazel sticks before they come into leaf and keep them ready for making frames for your beans to climb later in the season. In the fruit garden, it's a good idea to check over any pot-grown crops to check if they need potting on before they spring out of dormancy. Spiralling or surface roots are two good indicators of this. Another fruit garden task is to keep an eye on fluctuating temperatures, which can do serious damage to new blossoms. Be sure to offer protection to any early flowering plants. If you haven't already got your garlic in the ground, you can do this now. Any frosts we get during February will actually help split them into cloves. 
Prepare the ground well and plant using a trowel. We hope you have a great week in the garden and until next time, happy growing. Thanks again for joining us for this episode of The Dirt in partnership with Marshalls. Marshalls Garden is an online gardening shop where it's easy to find everything you need for gardening all in one place. Founded over 75 years ago, its heritage is in supplying vegetable seeds and plants, including seed potatoes, onions, fruit plants and trees to grow your own gardeners. The company's passion, expertise and excellence continues in 2021, where it will launch over 130 new seed varieties. Specialists in garden care, Marshalls has the best range of compost, fertilisers, controls and hardware you will find online. Order from the easy-to-use website or from the delightful catalogue for convenient delivery direct to your door. You'll find lots of help and advice on the website, including growing guides, seasonal advice, monthly jobs and inspiration for projects to do in the garden. Just visit marshallsgarden.com for more. And don't forget to subscribe for free to make sure you never miss an episode of The Dirt. We'd love it if you rate and review wherever you get your podcasts. And don't forget to tell all your lovely garden and allotment neighbours where to find us. Plus, as a special treat... We've got an exclusive Grow Your Own magazine offer just for the dirt listeners. Head to growfruitandveg.co.uk forward slash gpod7, that's G-P-O-D and the number 7, or call 0800 904 7000 and quote gpod7 to receive seven issues of our magazine Grow Your Own straight to your door for just twenty nine ninety nine. That's $11.94 off. Every issue is edited by me and the team and is packed with gardening advice and jobs to tick off your list and a big bonus. Each magazine comes with a selection of free seeds so you can get growing straight away. Check the episode notes for details and terms. And on a final exciting note, we're on the hunt for podcast guests and the next one could be you or someone you know. If you, a friend or a family member, has some great gardening advice, dirty gardening secrets or funny plot disasters they'd like to share, let us know by emailing thedirt at growfruitandveg.co.uk.